You're listening to The Hive, helping talent executives and practitioners better develop their talent and to support their organization's business strategy. Whether you're looking to stay on top of emerging trends that are impacting talent development or learn from other experts about what's working in their organization, this is the podcast for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to The Hive. I'm your host, Larry Drum. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Peskin. Michael's good to have you today. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me again. Happy to be here. Now, this is part two of a two-part series that we've done. I would encourage you to go back and listen to our last episode. But if you don't have a chance, just real quickly, I'll recap for you. Uh, We talked about the three main drivers of change that uh, are, are prompting new ways of working within learning. And they really summarized under the three headers of people and learners. And we talked a lot about generational differences and the influence that's having on learning within organizations. We talked about technology and the ways of working. I'd best summarize that as digital and the proliferation of new technologies and accelerating how people work and automation. And then finally, we talked about structure and workforce or the changing composition of the workplace and workforce and how that's prompting changes in learning as well. So with that being said, on today's show, what we thought we would do is really talk about, as I often say, the so what. Um, Because of those three changes, what does that mean for learning and development and organizations to adapt? And what does it mean they need to be thinking about related to those changes? So with that being said, I'll turn it over to Michael to get us started on the first question. So given those drivers of change that we just discussed, be people learners, technology work, structure slash the workforce, what does that mean for learning within organizations? And more specifically, those that are responsible for overseeing learning? Yeah. And this is the part where we spend most of our time researching, not just market trends, but the as I often say, the so what. So what does that mean for learning functions? And I'll talk about three areas that I see there. They may not be directly correlated to the the three drivers, but I think you'll see the connections between them across the board. The, The first one that I see for our clients that we work with and what we hear from others in learning is really, what does it mean? What, what's necessary and what needs to be done from a learning perspective to provide learning to accommodate the new skills and new ways of working? I mentioned technology and how that's changing. This one is correlated to that. There's not a client that we have that's not working on some future focus skills initiative. You know, most of our clients, some are in the products business, uh, many are in the services business, or uh, many are knowledge workers. When you think about future focused skills, that's what is being focused on is specifically with the changing nature of work, how do we provide the skills to individuals that maybe look different than what they've been for quite some time? Now, you briefly touched on it, Larry, but could you explain in a little more detail about what future-focused skills are? Yeah, it's a good question. As I said, most of our clients are have initiatives or programs focusing on those future-focused skills, and it really depends on the industry in which you're in. Uh, many people put them under the category of digital. Oftentimes, that's technology, automation, data other things like that. We do hear a lot about robotic process automation, 
which is how do you automate some of the work that you do, whether that be Excel macros or some other analysis that can be done to uh, elevate the worker. The other that we hear about a lot more from an investing perspective, but when you think about cryptocurrencies, when you think about blockchain, those are things that at every level, you would think there needs to be some awareness of what those topics are so that people can speak about them. For many of our clients, they work in a space where blockchain, which in essence is, you know, the classifying and recording of transactions in a decentralized ledger. When you think about that, that fundamentally can change many industries. So not only what's happening now, how's it going to impact their work? What do they do in the future? So we could do an entire podcast. We could probably do a whole series on what future-focused skills are, but I would classify them as digital, robotic process automation, crypto and blockchain and the like. I think those are the types of skills with an extension of things like data visualization, predictive analytics, a whole litany of other things. And part of this is kind of this future-focused way of what do you need in your toolkit from a learning perspective to be able to be effective in a future-oriented job in the way that, that work is changing. And around those skills of future focus, uh, skills and development, most of the time we hear it as reskilling or upskilling. Obviously, reskilling is taking individuals in roles and providing them with different skills that they'll need going forward. Most of our clients are referring to that, or most learning functions are referring to that as upskilling. So you'll hear about digital upskilling. And I think the key around that is how do you quickly upskill individuals? I think we'll see more in the future how this changes, you know, moving from role-based curriculums to skill-based curriculums. Everything we've done historically, given that we've worked in, you know, hierarchies with multiple levels, oftentimes it results in a role-based curriculum, which makes a lot of sense for many roles. But I think in a future-focused mindset and a future way of working, we may start to see more skill based curriculums as opposed to role-based curriculums and uh, the upskilling that comes along with that. And I think you make a lot of really great points there, Larry. Uh, and to that matter, I actually read something from the LinkedIn Learning Report that mentioned that uh, out of all the sort of L&D trends and topics out there, that upskilling and reskilling will be the top priority for uh, learning and development in the coming years. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I can't speak for our clients, but based on my experience, it does seem that upskilling and reskilling for future focused skills, data technology and the like is is a hot topic. The other thing that we see, there's a few other areas around accommodating new skills and new ways of working. And I think it's probably the most prominent in the last year, and that's working virtually. So that's everything from creating blended learning solutions that have a virtual component to virtual instructor-led to even virtual onboarding. So I think a big challenge for learning functions is how do you create a compelling learning experience when you're working virtually? And I, there's a lot of fatigue that comes from working virtually which was one of the maybe surprises. Uh, I think people's mental health suffered because of lack of engagement and other things like that. And I don't think learning is any is immune to that. I think learning and development functions have to think about learning virtually and working virtually and what the 
composition of a program or a curriculum or even self-directed learning looks like. So I think there's a, a lot of need there. And then finally, the last one that's interesting, we haven't heard a lot of individuals talking about it, but given the number of people that have resigned in the last 12 months, given the number of people who are identifying as independent contractors, 1099, sometimes that we would call them, is the gig economy. And this is one of the bigger shifts we've seen. I think it will only continue to grow. I do think when you think about the learning function and their responsibility for upskilling individuals, we always think about employees. But I really do think, you know, a number of years ago, we saw responsibility for providing learning or training to customers. I think there's an in-between here where we have third-party labor and other resources that need access to just-in-time material, just-in-time upskilling, you know, onboarding, a number of things like that. So I think the gig economy provides an interesting paradigm or maybe dilemma where learning functions need to think about how this independent worker gets upskilled in the process and onboarded. Uh, and that's a new, what I would call a new wrinkle for the L&D function. So first piece that I talked about for learning is to provide learning to accommodate new skills and new ways of working. We talked a little bit about that. The second that we see is really, sometimes I would say it's doing more with less, but that sounds a little bit ominous. Really what we're talking about is how as a learning function can you become more efficient? You know, budgets are always under pressure. I presume learning budgets continue to be under pressure even still. But when we think about creating space for the learning function, creating space for the learner, how do you do more with less? There's a couple of things that we see. Curation of content. We know there's limited resources within learning functions. We're started, we've talked about curation of content for quite some time, but I think the ability to go out, especially with digital skills and upskilling and other things like that, there's a wealth of information, what we call free resources or sometimes freemium resources. There's a wealth of information that if your organization is not an expert or has proprietary material on a topic, really, is there a need to be able to create it in a way that only your organization has access to? Case in point, blockchain, cryptocurrency, introducing things like that, that individuals may need to be aware of. There's really very little reason to create it. And even if you are in that space, the ability to wrap that in a pathway on Degreed or EdCast or somewhere else where you've curated this content on an LXP, there's a lot of opportunity to curate content. So that's that's one thing that we see that's critically important. The other thing that we see from a learner perspective, learners are being asked to do more, to think differently about their job, to think about skills that are going to change more dynamically and more frequently. Adaptive learning is one of those areas where there's a number of providers out there in the space. We can provide more information if, if our listeners have questions, but it's, it's somewhat the old school way of understanding what the needs of the learner are and customizing what the learning is that they receive. And I don't have time to go into today the totality of adaptive learning, but the idea of compressing the amount of time it takes a learner to go through something and increasing the mastery, and we've done a lot of this as of late, 
is a huge win to be able to provide basically doing more with less, less time for the learner going through and spending time on what they need versus what they already know and having better outcomes. We see that adaptive is, is a great way to get more efficient. And then finally, this is really less of an efficiency play, but the distributed learning and learning in the flow of work that we see happening is really starting to gain momentum. There's a lot of benefits to individuals learning together as a team. There's the social component. It creates a culture of learning. It allows the learning to be more relevant. It uh, distributes the responsibility among managers and others to help uh, set expectations around what learning looks like. It really amplifies the relevance. So when I think about getting more efficient, there's probably 15 different ways that we could highlight that. But the three that come to my mind are content curation, uh, using something like adaptive learning to do more with less, as well as using distributed learning through things like learning in the flow of work to improve the efficiency and the relevance that the learner gets from what they, what they consume. With all these changes and all these sorts of new platforms and what you can do, doing more with less, how do you know what's right for your organization? That's a great question. I always say, well, it's been said for a long time and I like to repeat it. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. We do see a lot of organizations that take a very eclectic approach where they throw a lot of technology at, at uh, challenges or issues or things that other people are doing. And I would say that developing a point of view and a strategy for what you're trying to do. One thing that we often work with clients on or share is our point of view in terms of a learning maturity model for the learning organization. Not everyone wants to be best in class. But we have a framework that oftentimes allows you to see where you're at and where you're trying to go. And that's something that's very helpful to have context, to get people on the same page about where you're at. The other part is learning, we always have to remember, is in service of the business. What is it that the business is trying to accomplish? How do we align to their strategy? How do we create you know, not only compelling learning offerings, but how do we make sure we're enabling the business to do what they need to do? There are many different attributes of what we would call a healthy learning culture. And there isn't, to your point, Michael, there's not a one size fits all. Everyone shouldn't go run out and do adaptive and do curation and do all these things. They really need a strategy to think about what are the imperatives? What do we wanna do as a learning function? How do we align with the business strategy? where are we at from a maturity perspective and where do we want to go and then create a plan around that. So there's a lot of thought that really needs to be put into how you use these various elements or levers, as I would call them, to create a healthy and dynamic learning culture and an effective and efficient learning function. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. The last one. So I mentioned accommodating new ways of working. We talked about getting more efficient or, or maybe even doing more with less where possible. I think the last one that may be a little bit further out there, depending on the maturity of the learning function that, that our listeners are part of, is really personalized learning. And I've heard this more and more frequently, and it's something that we've been talking about for the last year. You know, it used to be that learning was a one-size-fits-all. Yes, it was a role-based curriculum, 
We didn't utilize technology heavily within L&D functions 20, 30 years ago because there wasn't much to be used there. But when I think about where we're going around learner data, when I think about various methods and formats that are now available to us, whether that be podcasts, innovation hubs, just-in-time referenceable materials, micro-learns at the point of need. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the various ways that we can put information, referenceable material, and learning in front of learners. There's just so much that can be done. So when I think about the data and the formats that are out there, we talked about adaptive and how you customize it to the learner. I think that's really going to drive where we're going. We have a number of clients are starting down the path of personalization of learning. And again, that's what millennials and, and uh, younger generations are likely looking for because that's what they expect in their personal life. So that's what they expect uh, in their work setting. But think about this, Michael, if you could use AI or other predictive analytics, when you think about providing learning and training opportunities based on, let's say, your interest, your last performance report or manager feedback, based on your schedule, your email, your calendar, your task, your current assignment within work or your future assignments, your network, those you follow, your region, your location, your tenure. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And there are some really interesting things out there that are starting to, to pop up. Uh, Microsoft Viva has some interesting things going where it looks at your, your calendar and your emails and may make recommendations about scheduling time for learning. At some point, it may even re make recommendations around your learning. I think there, that's the beginnings of a lot of maybe low-level AI to say based on conversations you've had, based on people you're working with, based on projects you're doing, based on topics, based on infinite number of other things. I think that's a new age of learning that we're getting into, that learning functions need to start thinking about the personalization of learning and uh, how the effectiveness of learning can be brought to bear with the learners. And we're on the early, early side of that, but I think those are things that learning functions should begin thinking about. So with all these drivers that we have, and you just mentioned, you know, providing learning to accommodate new skills, doing more with less, personalized learning, why did you select these topics or these drivers? There are so many other factors and things that come into play here, but what specifically are you seeing or that you researched that make these three the main drivers? That's a great question, Michael. And I, you know... It's interesting how when the same people look at different research, they may come up with different um, observations. I guess in the, the 30 years I've been doing it, when I think about learning and I think about the importance to the organization and I think about what is happening in the marketplace with the pandemic, with different expectations of learning, with uh, upskilling, reskilling, all these different things, these are the three that I believe for many organizations, and again, it's not one size fits all, but these are the three areas that I think about that are most likely relevant. You know, when we think about future focused skills and, and accommodating new skills and new ways of working, virtually every organization is impacted by that. Every organization is under constant pressure to do more with less and be more efficient 
So there's always value in that. And then ultimately, as I said before, with the workforce changing, you know, in the next eight years, let's say almost all, uh, not all, but uh, a, a vast majority of workers will expect a level of personalization because that's what they've grown up with. I think these three areas, the, thir- the third one I talked about on uh, personalization is, is probably in third, not a distant third, but it is in third. Those are the things that I think organizations and the organizations that I talk to uh, that focus on learning, these are the things that are really top of mind for them. And as I often say, the old uh, book by Peter Senge, The Fifth Discipline that I read many, many years ago, still resonates with me. An organization's only competitive differentiation may well be its ability to learn. And so that's why I take it so personally, and and I I get pretty excited about organizational learning, because I think organizations that are going to thrive and be successful have to figure out how to learn and how to do it well and how to apply it to their business. And I think these three drivers we talked about are ones that really could accelerate their thinking and help them develop a strategy and a plan for execution against those. Great. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining in. If you have a specific topic you would like us to cover or want to discuss today's topic in more detail, you can reach us at the link in the podcast notes. On the next few episodes, we are going to break down the trends in more detail. So subscribe to get notified when the next podcast goes live. Thanks again for listening to the Hive podcast. I'm your host, Larry Durham. Until next time. In today's dynamic business environment, people performance, now more than ever, has become a key strategic differentiator. St. Charles provides innovative learning services and solutions that improve people performance and positively impact organizations' performance. To find out how we do it and how we can help your organization, visit stccg.com. You've been listening to The Hive. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.